you know, normally at this time, like rock and roll, guitars firing, supposed to be going. But technology is great until Skynet goes active. And once Skynet goes active and the computers are working against you, it just doesn't work anymore. That, that might be the best answer we have. So right now in your mind, just imagine Pearl Jam playing. We'll do Yellow Lead better. I know, slower music than you're used to, but it's one of the greatest songs ever. And, and welcome back. It is the Louis Bellina Show, presented by B&B Automotive and Superior Auto Service. Hey, it's right about 11.30 on a Thursday. We head to Nashville, Smoothie King Hotline, to hang out with Braden Gall, 440 Sports, ESPN Radio. Brother, how's your universe? What's going on, man? How are you? College football. I love it. It's undefeated. Some teams may not be, but the game itself is beautiful, gorgeous, and I just, I don't know. It's fun, isn't it? Uh, I, I agree, and uh, you know, so I was I was out of town doing college football last weekend, so I didn't get a chance to sit down like all Saturday and watch ball like I normally do. But this this weekend, we've had so many like the, the fall soccer season for the kiddos is over. You know what I mean? Like the birthdays, mm-hmm. we got a we got a weekend without any kids' birthdays this weekend, uh, and and it just so happens that that is also the weekend where we have like a triple header in the SEC. We also have two huge games in the Big 12. We've got a huge game in the Pac-12. Uh, it's it's going to be sort of like get all the work done on, on Sunday and, and Friday and st- settle in for some ball on Saturday. So I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that I have no other obligations on Saturday because it, uh, it is locked and loaded to, to the SEC and to some other conferences as well. Dirty water? Football games, you good? Brown water, oh, that's yeah. what you call it. Brown no, water. No, 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 brown water. Well, but but the, okay, so the brown water, I don't. That's that's sort of more like around the fourth quarter oh. of the Missouri Georgia game. You know, like end of the night. To, you get to. I think it needs to be post five p.m. at least. I think kickoff of the Ole Miss LS, uh, the Ole Miss uh, Texas A&M game. That's more of the uh, tomato juice with a little bit of that clear that clear stuff you put in there. Um, so I think the Bloody Marys and the mimosas in the morning, and then you know a couple beers in the afternoon, and then switch to the brown water in the evening. You know, which is, which I'm assuming is very healthy for a 41 year old. Sure. I mean, hey, I'll find a doctor that'll sign off on that. Look, uh, Braden, here's the we'll move on. But remember, it's five o'clock somewhere. That that's just All my right, tip. Right. I'm, R. R. I'm, R. I'm trying to help. It's five o'clock somewhere. We had our first. College football playoff committee rankings on Tuesday, bated breath. I made sure to DVR. I had dip. And then when it was announced and released, I remember I went, huh, okay. It, I don't know. why it, it missed some oomph or drama. We should be excited. I mean, Florida State, a new school, a new breath, a non-SEC team number one, and Washington at five on the doorstep. But I really just went, okay, sounds good. And then I went back to whatever else I was doing. Well, and I think that's the right way to do it because it doesn't matter. I mean, even inside of the top four, they contra- like one of the only things that I've ever tried to figure out during these rankings, especially the early ones, is like trying to figure out exactly how this particular group of people thinks and what they value. And, 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 and like I, I would argue that what they're valuing is resume wins for Ohio State. I was at that game on Saturday. That is not the number one team in the nation. Nope. Uh, the two things the two things that I learned being there in person and largely at field level was Marvin Harrison's even better than I thought, and Ohio State's not as good as I thought. Like those are the two things that I felt. 
Now, it doesn't mean that Ohio State's not going to be great, or maybe they don't go on to win everything, and maybe they aren't the big... Like, they could still go accomplish everything. But I did not see the number one team in the nation. With my own two eyes, that's not who they were. And so the committee is saying, all right, maybe we value resume more. That's a fine thing to learn if you don't then go right down to number three and four and look at the fact that they put domination over resume when they decided Michigan and Florida State. So, like, even within the top four, they contradicted their own priorities. And that's where I just, I look at, like, to your point, I just go, okay, who cares? <laughs> like, Fair enough. Like, at that, at, at that point, I'm like, if you're going to contradict your own priorities within the top four, that that's fine. It, do, it does not matter. The good news is, and I think the most important thing that, that everyone needs to remember, and I've said this now for years, every single football game is played before the only rankings that matter come out. We have seen every single piece of data, so where you're ranked in the preseason does not affect where the final rankings are, it does. You you can be preseason number sixty-two, and at at the end of every single game that's been played, it, it, it like everyone knows exactly what everyone is. Like, and I have this argument with people. It's like, oh well, we beat number six, so and so, and it's like, well, no, they ended up finishing five and seven. So you beat five <laughs> and seven. So you you beat five and seven. So and so, you didn't beat number six. So and like Braden, Oklahoma, we have this conversation preseason. every year. Throughout know, the season on my show. No, no. Because I, I, I don't believe you are who the ranking when you play them. You could play the number one team in the country in week one and they go 0-12. Don't tell me you beat the number one team. Right, and, and, and you don't have to worry about that because what the committee is going to look at when they look at who you are as a team is they're going to look at the teams you beat and, and they're going to, guess what, they're going to know the record. <laughs> like, this is the beauty of, of the only ranking that matters. You know, I work for a magazine that makes a product that makes money off of putting out rankings. It is fun to discuss. It's fun to debate. It's part of being a sports fan. Yeah. But, but, but don't take it to mean, like, at the end of the regular season, after every single game has been played, and we actually know exactly what every team is, that's when we finally decide the rankings. And so that's okay. That's the, that's the only good way that we can do it. So, real quick. Is there anything you'd adjust? What would you do at your top four based on our data points and, and even you uh, knowing kind of the formula they use? I uh, post it every week on, on Twitter. If you're still on that sewer, uh, at Braden Gall, I post it's my X. The problem uh, is you're I, posting on the wrong format. Nope, it's twitter.com if you're going to the URL. If you go to the URL, until they change the URL, it says twitter.com. So uh, if you go there and you look at my rankings, I would have Georgia 1, Florida State 2, Michigan 3, Ohio State 4, I would have Alabama Ooh. five. I have Oregon six. Ooh. I have Washington at like nine. Ooh. I have Oklahoma at ten. Oh. Uh, I think I think I've got. Now I'm trying to forget. I, I forgot one team. Oh, Penn State. I think is who I've got at seven, um, and then Texas at, at eight. So I, like, here's the here's the weird thing. I think Oregon's better than Washington. They lost head to head on the road. I think Texas is better than Oklahoma. They lost head to head. I think Bama's better than Texas, but they lost head to head. It can be done. It happens all the time. Look at Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky in the East, right? Right. K- Kentucky, Kentucky dominates Florida. Florida dominates Tennessee. Tennessee goes on the road and beats Kentucky. It's called football. It, <laughs> the, 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 the fact that Oregon, and here's what I'm also baffled by. Oh, the results. That's I automatically then get. Well, then why don't you care about the results? Why even play the game? Like that's what I. That's what I get instantly when you rank somebody ahead of somebody else that they happen to play. Like, first of all, I, I don't know why the other eight results don't matter then. <laughs> like, if you're evaluating Oregon and Washington, for example, Oregon's body of work is significantly more impressive, even when you take into account the game they played against Washington, which is 
They went on the road in an extremely hostile environment against the top 10 team, and they were three-fourths and ones away and a missed field goal away from winning that game, and the rest of their body of work is, is clearly better. Can I ask you for a clarification? Did you really say there's a hostile environment in the Pac-12? Have you like? Uh, Did you make that claim? There there are there are about four or five actually. Have you been to SEC schools? There are uh, first of all Utah, Oregon, Washington are the three that I would say are in fact hostile. How can you be hostile under sixty k? I think all of those are above sixty k, but that's that's neither here nor there. I mean, isn't Mississippi State under 60K? And that's pretty hostile. That's a high school stadium. Yeah, it's pretty darn loud. (laughs) The point is, is like, you have a rival. I think think degrading and and saying that the Oregon-Washington rivalry is any less passionate than anything in the SEC, I think that's stupid. I think that's ignorant. Ignorant. Uh, There are plenty of schools in the Pac-12 that do not care about this stuff as much as we do. Oregon, Washington, and Utah are not three of them. They play defense. They're physical. They've got great quarterbacks. They have track records of success. They have great fans. Like I'm, I'm just not. I, I, I've been to Seattle. It's fantastic. Rice Cycle Stadium at Utah is over capacity for like 12 straight years. It is. They, those are very, very legit uh, fan bases. It does not mean that there, there aren't, aren't other places in that conference where you question. And frankly, Colorado, when they are great, like they throw rocks at you. Yep. Uh, talk about host- talk about hostile. <laughs> Like, A&M experienced awesome. some of that in the Big 12. Colorado fans are awful. They really are. They're not good fans. They, that Throwing rocks does not show support for your team. They're actually really bad. They are some of the more vulgar. No, that's that's They're bad. awful. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not complimenting them. I'm saying it defines hostile. Okay. Throwing rocks is hostile. That, it, duh. By the way, Rice Eccles, 51K. Largest crowd ever, 53K. Neither here nor there, but you made me look it up when, when you mentioned that. Because I'm like, I'm pretty um, sure they're under 60. And I know they have a great crowd. I just, I'm used to SEC, you know. And if Utah was in the SEC and you had 51K, you'd be like, oh, that's cute. That is precious. That is, that's really nice. I wanted to talk about one other thing, college football playoff. And it's actually the future because it's the future's next year. It's a statement by like two or three of the original founding four of this format. And they said that going to 12 is going to make 30 to 35 schools relevant in the final weeks. With the four-team format, the belief system, you have like 10. 10 teams stay relevant down the stretch. But in a 12, it could be 30. 35 teams will be relevant in the final weeks. Do you do you see that? I know you haven't had time to study it, but do you see it? Do you agree with that? Because for me, losing the power of one loss and you're out, which I think is powerful in college football, having 30, 35 relevant teams in the final month would probably be a good trade-off for the one loss loss. I I think it's about recalibrating our expectations around the record itself. And I think this happened 10 or 15 years ago for me personally. Like the zero and the one, I I just don't think it's that big of a deal. If you're an elite team, you're going to get the job done. And how many teams have won national championships that are undefeated? I mean, there's just not many. Like, we've got Georgia, you got 09 Bama, you got Auburn in 2010. I mean, it just, like, I think Clemson might have done it once. Like, you just don't, you don't, it doesn't happen. The best teams in college football lose a game. It happens. And so I think recalibrating what we sort of define as elite or excellent in an exchange for 
growing the health of the sport and including more things into that conversation, I, I, I think is the, the math that we're doing. And frankly, it's why the interest in the sport on a national TV rating standpoint, which is, again, not necessarily how we should be judging the health of the sport, but it's why it capped out and it's why it's gone down and it's why there's some stale nature to it at the top. And now what we're doing with the 12-team playoff is tricking people into thinking yes. that the last four are going to be different. The last four are still probably going to be roughly the same. But at the end of the day, what we're doing in the process is like this week right now, Tennessee, Missouri, Ole Miss, like teams that none of us would really think have an actual chance to win the SEC championship. Maybe even LSU, although they could prove me wrong. They're college football playoff contenders. That's more important than an SEC title. Yes, and teams that don't ever have the athletes to win the national championship, and I I call these sort of like the upper middle class of college football, like they, they would have opportunities to A, get a playoff appearance, which is, you know, frankly, like an NCAA tournament or sweet. How about a sweet? Let's call it the Sweet Sixteen. What do college basketball teams do when they ha- when they get to the Sweet Sixteen? They put a banner in their arena. Dang right. Especially, especially smaller programs that do not have the capability to win six games in the NCAA tournament. And that is what we're doing: is we're taking the best Iowa State team that goes ten and two, or the best Kentucky team that went. Mark Stoops has two of these years where they won ten games. I mean, Ole Miss with Matt Corral was ten and two. Tennessee last year would not have made a playoff, but they would have made a 12-team playoff. So, like, you can go through the list of teams, and especially in the SEC where you kind of know the teams that just can't win. Like, Mark Stoops is a great coach. He's a great coach for Kentucky. He is never going to compete for national championships at Kentucky. But can he get his team into the playoff a couple times in 10 years? Absolutely. He's already proven he can do it. That makes, like, so Missouri this week. Hmm. I don't think it takes any value, and this is the other argument that people then scream about, oh, well, then why would they even try hard in those games? Like, like <laughs> okay, that's it, stupid. it devalues the foot. Are you telling me that all of a sudden that Auburn and Alabama, if there wasn't, like just because we have a four-team or a 12-team, that all of a sudden those players are going to play less hard in that game? Like, give me a break with that. Like, that's that's ridiculous. Fans are going to root less hard in that game? I mean, I, that's, I don't know that's what That's dumb. That's a bad about. argument conversation. Braden, right, I, I got to take a timeout, but there's a factoid I want to share with you. Uh, CBS Sports did research... Uh, starting with like the bowl coalition, the playoff era, everything, using the 12-team format with the final rankings of the 12. And on the average, 12 of those spots, using the final 12, right, rankings, college football playoff committee, everything, because they released their final rankings too, 7.6% of, 7.6 out of 12 spots are Big Ten SEC. <laughs> well, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but it's not possible because of the automatic bids. But yet, if you're just taking the best teams, uh oh. Well, but seven out of twelve is still barely above fifty percent, and so if 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 fifty percent of the best, like I, 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 yeah, I mean, okay, newsflash: the SEC and the Big Ten are the best two conferences when they have like thirty-four teams starting next year. Like I, I don't, to me, that's sort of like duh. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that there's not a couple teams in the Big 12, a couple teams in the ACC, a couple teams in the Pac-12 that might be worthy. And that's all that you ever were expecting. And to to me, it's about, you know, like, it's about those Utah teams that won the Pac-12 championship the last two years. I guarantee you there's a lot of teams that made the 14 playoff that would not want to play those two Utah teams in the playoff. And And this is the other thing that nobody talks about. While I do believe that the four teams at the top or maybe the two teams at the end of the 12-team playoff are going to largely be the same. 
I, I do think that there are plenty of teams that are going to pull upsets that you never and, and create games that we never would have had before. Absolutely. Like if you're telling me, if you're telling me Alabama Penn State is a playoff game this year between number six and number ten, don't tell me the winner of that game is not going to have a chance to knock off number four Florida State. They absolutely could. So, like, it, 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 do I think Tulane is going to beat number five Georgia very often? Probably not. But do I think the winners of those first four games? have a chance to go beat the other four top four seeds? Absolutely. Absolutely there will be upsets. And so we get four great, probably three great games in the first round. We'll probably get two or three great games in the second round. Hopefully you get two great games in the semis, the way you would get AFC and NFC championship games. And then we get a champion that, that is, at that point, hopefully still has players that are alive. <laughs> right. So, we'll Let's take a quick timeout, come back two games i got to ask you about this week. Yeah, let's do it. Right and go. 440 Sports. ESPN Radio hangs out with us on the Smoothie King hotline each and every Thursday. Smoothie King has a rewards program. It's free to join. You download the app, which is free, and then join the Smoothie King rewards program in the app, which is free. And then every day, you start saving money on your favorite smoothies, but Fridays. Oh, free upsize Friday. It's like your 20-ounce becomes a 32-ounce for free. If you're a Smoothie King Rewards member, every Friday, every single Friday is free Upsize Friday. We are hanging out a little bit more with, rejoined by, it's Braden Golf, 440 Sports, ESPN Radio, built his own podcasting empire in Nashville. I've known Braden 20 plus years, kind of done almost everything, anything. If it's audio, I think Braden has spoken on it with it for it. Braden. A&M, Ole Miss, Oxford. The Rebels are a three-point favorite at home. Opened at four and a half, so it's dropped. Explain the game to me. I mean, Vegas clearly likes Texas A&M's defensive line in matching up with Ole Miss because generally if you can stop the run the way Alabama did, the way Tulane kind of did early in the season, you can get Ole Miss into a good game. Now, LSU did it totally differently, right? They just said, no, we're just going to try to score as many touchdowns as possible, and that didn't work. So I, I think if you can stop Judkins and you can stop then, then you can kind of create a one-dimensional offense that gives you a chance. That's probably what Vegas is trying to tell people here because they're begging you to take Ole Miss. That means they probably like A&M in that matchup. And frankly, the Ole Miss offensive line, while it's gotten better, is still it still has some questions against top-level talent. That being said, I can't get the way Tennessee ran the football against A&M out of my head. And the way Jackson Dart, and, and some of that was they, Tennessee had not yet fully realized how to use Joe Milton on the ground, but they kind of learned in that game how to do it. And Jackson Dart has been terrific on the ground the last couple of weeks. Like he's been really great at improv, off script, making things happen. I think we're going to do, I think you're going to see some of that. So I, I think Ole Miss is, is on a mission, but if they overlook this team, if they take them too lightly, which doesn't strike me as something Kiffin will do, considering how much he and Jimbo Fisher clearly dislike each other. Whoa, uh, I think that's love. I think that's just like friendly <laughs> banter between two boys who have pizza together. Sure thing. Uh, but wow. could, you, could you be looking ahead to Georgia next week? That's absolutely possible. But Ole Miss is a program that, can't, that doesn't really have those types of moments. Like, you're not, like Ole Miss is not allowed to look ahead of anybody. And so I, I'm curious about that. I really... My, my my analysis of the game is that that Ole Miss is playing amongst the best football in the country. They their their balance on offense is really impressive. The quarterback's playing the best of his entire career. They are at home, but but Vegas is kind of telling you, eh, wait a second, not so fast. This is going to be a close game. And if it gets into a tight game, 
I still I still would bet on Dart making the play with his legs. Um, the only other way that A&M wins this game, frankly, is if they just dominate the line of scrimmage so much, and then a couple of big plays, special teams, Dania Smith, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden A&M wins by like two touchdowns. No, 15-14. Five field goals to two touchdowns, A&M wins. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know how you keep Ole Miss out of the end zone that much, but I guess it's possible. A&M's defense is elite good. It, it, it's not a product of their schedule. I'm just telling you, it's elite-level good. They're a I would say the top 15-20. The front seven is very, very good. It, 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 to your point, I agree with you. The secondary, if they are out there on their own, is not. Every again, secondary they have to hold part, too long is vulnerable. Part of the reason I thought they would win that game against Tennessee is that I thought that matchup was the matchup they would win because that's, that's the matchup they normally win. And Tennessee ran the ball well. Ran the ball, yep. and it was it was creative. They got on the edge. They got on the outside. They used three different guys, and they used the quarterback. And Ole Miss can do some of that. So it, that, that's where I can't get that game out of my head. Is man, A and M's defense is so good. We're stopping the run. That's a good matchup against Ole Miss. But 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 we have seen some moments where guys figured some stuff out, and I think Kiffin's in the laboratory this week. So. I'll take Ole Miss, but I really, truly have no idea. So that three-point makes sense because it's a coin toss game and three is just yep. the home yep. field. You know, you're, you're three for being at home. Brayden, be amazing. Enjoy this weekend. I love the fact you're talking like, hey, no kids, no parties, me, TV. Have an amazing weekend, brother. <laughs> focused. I'm, I'm focused. I'm locked in, baby. Yeah, the remote control's locked in. Peace, brother. <laughs> All right, man. Brayden Gull, 440 Sports, ESPN Radio, a part of what we do on the Louis Bellina Show.